0: in hell a look back at saturday night live with your hosts matt and keith brought to you by lion's den audio theater like and subscribe to lion's den audio theater for more lion's den goodness and here are your hosts keith and matt
1: saturday night live season three episode 15 starring christopher lee originally aired on march 25th 1978 hello welcome to SN hell my name is keith and with me as always my good buddy matt hello matt
0: hello keith uh, sorry for sniffing during your intro i hope the thousands didn't hear that
1: that's fine and if they did you're only human my
0: friend i am it's like it's a hot sweaty humid saturday night here where i am
1: yeah it's much the same here of course i'm only across town but uh <laughs> <laughs> all right let's bring in chili chili how are you
2: i'm doing well how are you (laughs) doing quite well excited to be back and a big fan of christopher lee as i'm sure people will learn as it goes on but that does not necessarily save this episode we will see
1: So yeah, tonight, Christopher Lee. I don't know for sure, for sure, but he might be the actor with the most on-screen film and television credits of the 20th century. Well, 20th, 21st century. Probably best known to newer audiences as either Count Dooku or uh, Saruman. But the career is, that's like the very end. That's the tip of the iceberg. You guys are more into horror than I am. Talk about Christopher Lee.
2: I think when Christopher Lee died, he did have the most on-screen credits somewhere in the range about 250 i think at one point in time anyway he was in the guinness records for three different things uh one was most on-screen credits two was most sword fights in separate films i don't think of him as being a swashbuckler and also for uh the tallest leading man which at one point in time he shared with Vince Vaughn, who's also deceptively tall. I I was always a fan. Uh, In my opinion, he might have the best voice of anybody ever. Uh, James Earl Jones is close, but having the British accent and sort of the upper crossness might put Christopher Lee over the top, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, you know, legend and horror and... As we'll probably see as the episode goes on, I think he probably could have have done a lot more than what he was given to work with.
0: Definitely. I'm with you on best voice ever, though.
2: Guy's a Nazi killer. Was Was he special?
1: Finnish special services or something?
0: I forget his exact role, but I know he was involved directly in the fight with uh, the Nazis for England. Mm. I mean, there's that famous story of when when he was in The Lord of the Rings and somebody gets uh, stabbed. Peter Jackson, the director, is kind of going about business. And Christopher Lee's like, no, that's not real. When somebody gets stabbed, it happens like this. And this is how they react. And this is how I feel. And you're like, what the fuck, Christopher Lee? You could be a little, you're a 6'5", white-haired Englishman who played
2: Dracula. You can turn down the creep factor by at least 10. It was called the Special Operations Executive, which kind of essentially sounds like it was the same as... If you watch the movies of The Kingsman, it kind of seems like that, like okay. upper class, because he did come from a pretty well-off family. You know, just like, you know what, these are the guys who are going to go in and do cool, like, spy shit. You know, these people were badasses, and he was certainly one of them. He was among them, yeah.
1: We talked a little bit about Ho- Hammer before we went on the air, the Hammer horrors. That's uh, really where most people know him from, right?
0: Yeah, the Hammer Horror uh, landmark studio in the 60s and 70s cranked out a bunch of these almost like a universal 2.0 with their creature features and their monsters. And uh, very famously, Horror of Dracula was the big hit Mm. for Christopher Lee. And uh, what a doozy. Great movie, Horror of Dracula.
1: So this should come as no surprise, but it was Lorraine who pushed for Christopher Lee to host. Had, uh, According to Lorraine in later interviews, she'd been doing it for a couple of years. I'm quite glad she did. Lorraine, a huge horror fan, and there'll be a little bit about that later. When Christopher Lee showed up, said he will not do Dracula. He was kind of getting away from that. Uh, wasn't that long before this, he, he was in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Now, Chile, I know you are a Bond
2: fan. Mm-hmm. As is as is one of your brothers. How was he? He's one of my favorite villains in Bond. Uh in the movie, he was basically sort of the anti-Bond. James Bond, who was uh Roger Moore for that movie. Tall, upper class, good looking British guy, but instead of being a spy for the government. He was a hitman, and the thing was that he would charge a million dollars for a hit, and he had his golden gun. I thought it was a subpar movie, but Christopher Lee was the best thing in it.
1: Musical guest tonight, Meatloaf, and we'll talk about uh, him a bit later. So you guys ready to jump right into the show? Yes. Yes, sir. Excellent. Disclaimer, 101 Dalmatians were run over by 101 moving vans will not be seen tonight. So we can bring you this special presentation. These are still funny to me, but they're getting uh, they're getting a lot weaker. Wearing them out. Yeah. We now go to the cold open. So Gilda and Bill are sitting at the lockers. Gilda is fixing Bill's hair, and they start talking about John Belushi, who's moving to L.A. John Chancellor has left NBC Nightly News, and therefore everyone else at NBC is moving up. John is going on to play Grizzly Adams, is the story. The network has also decided to change his name to Kevin Scott, which is how his name appears on his locker. Belushi comes in and he's uh, he's waiting for the bear on Grizzly Adams to make his decision because the bear gets final approval if Belushi's going to play Grizzly Adams. John says the name has been forced on him, but he's not going to change. He tells Gilda and Bill that he's going to miss them and uh, he's going to miss everyone else, but he forgets Jane's name. And then he says he's going to miss saying, live from New York, it's Saturday night. But he says, live from New York, it's Saturday night, and then corrects himself and says live. Okay, so this is a good cold-o. I really laughed at the idea of people being promoted within NBC, and they're just kind of shuffling jobs. I don't like when people mess with live from New York. It's not worth sacrificing the line for a dumb joke. The Kevin Scott thing, which is going to play out a little bit more in the episode, not as well as it should. But uh, I got a laugh out of that as well.
2: I found it just very low energy. It seemed like a decent concept as far as everyone getting promoted from within. Yeah, same thing. I hate when people mess with the live from New York at Saturday night. Yeah, for me, this is not a good cold open. I thought the
0: NBC hierarchy uh, thing was funny as well, Keith. But I also actually thought it was really funny that they were sitting in front of lockers in a locker room. Like it was some sort of fucking high school show. My favorite part of the sketch was when Belushi couldn't remember Jane. And he was like, Jane, yeah, 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 Uh, (laughs) yeah. Just because I feel like they don't like each other. But I agree with Chili completely that it lacked the energy that you want from a cold open. You know, the cold open should be a punch Uh, Or, Mm -hmm. like, you know, a splash of cold water in the face, and this is neither. We now go to the intro. Uh,
1: The intro was great. Belushi was introduced as Kevin Scott and (laughs) moved him to the right spot alphabetically. Gilda's also given a new shot where she's blowing a bubble gum. I'm sorry, guys. That's the kind of detail that I love. I lost it when, when that happened.
2: That almost made up for the low energy open.
0: I didn't notice that he was moved alphabetically. That is fantastic.
1: We now have the monologue. Christopher Lee comes down to the stage. Um, You know, I'll be honest. It was strange seeing Christopher Lee in this context. You know, I was very much pulled in at this point, probably more than anyone we've had yet, actually to me wondering how's he going to do says he's very nervous mentions he's been in over 130 movies and he starts going through his credits and he even takes credit for playing trixie on the honeymooners he's not doing horror movies so much anymore because they've gotten a lot weaker and he throws to a compilation of trailers for new movies coming out so just this part of the christopher lee monologue so far he was he was firing on all cylinders so without going into the movie trailers what are you thinking even though he is
2: exclusively well not exclusively but even though he's basically exclusively an entertainer this is so far out of the element i picture him being in i would almost compare this more to when you see a politician or like a news anchor or something getting up to do it which We have some of them do very well, like uh, I believe Julian Bond, for example, did really well. But like it was weird At, at some point I had to remind myself, like he is an actor. He's an entertainer. It's just not in this context. I thought he did really well. He had some good lines. The creature from the Black Studies program really made me laugh. And yeah, he held himself well. And we should not ignore the fact that I've never seen a single picture of Christopher Lee with that fucking mustache. <laughs> it was phenomenal. The suit was great, the mustache, the voice. Yeah, I, I thought he he was fine. He came out. The mustache was indeed
0: shocking and distracting. And, you know, I might as well mention now, I got a real problem with him coming in and saying he doesn't want to do Dracula shit. This is what made you famous. It doesn't matter what you're doing now. You're on a late night variety show with a bunch of coke heads like cut loose be available for the writer's ideas don't come in here with your little fucking i won't do this and i won't do that diva behavior and i love christopher lee and it's painful for me to say that but grow up
2: i don't mind christopher lee saying it's so much in this case because at this point he'd been doing dracula for probably 10 or 15 years so i don't mind so much that he kind of <laughs> put his foot down a little bit And what we'll see later in this episode is I wouldn't trust the writers with too much stuff.
0: You know, if you want to make those decisions for your career and the scripts you choose and the movies you are going to be in, that's fine. Christopher Lee is like three or four years away from starring in The Howling 2, which is one of the most fucking ridiculous, sleazy Trashy horror movies of the 80s. He has no high horse position here. You've been grinding away, and Hammer Studios making bank, getting mega famous. Go out there and do your shtick. If we write you shit to do
2: your shtick, the whole episode was basically <laughs> horror themed, right? He he still played death. He was still in a Dracula themed sketch. I, I I guess I didn't mind it as much. It was almost like Muppet Show stuff, right? It was all very much horror. Thing so it's not like he said i want nothing to do with horror just it was probably more like listen i understand we'll do the horror stuff that's what i'm known for i just don't want to wear a cape and play the same character and also too we are forgetting the best line of the uh, monologue i think deserves a bit of shout out is when he said he's been over 130 films and they aren't all uh, they aren't all on at 3am on channel 9 that was a good <laughs> line and the audience got a good kick out of it
1: it's it's an interesting thing i mean he obviously had no problem with horror Seems to be just Dracula itself. I wonder though, like, I mean, there's obviously over the years many people who do this, and I suppose the producers have to sort of do a not a risk assessment, but sort of say, okay, how many things can they say no to before we can't do a show with this person?
2: If that's a, what a
0: wow! What a good point. And and I think it's you know, because eventually there's got to be a limit. Otherwise, like, why the hell are you here if we yeah. can't do anything with you that we can't have fun with?
1: So, yes, at the end of his this part of the monologue, he talks about how horror movies have gotten weaker. And he gives three examples. Um, The Creature from the Black Studies program, Frankenstein Snubs the Wolfman, and Dr. Terror's House of Pancakes. And he throws to three coming attractions. The first one, Garrett plays Dr. Mobius, who works at an airport lost and found. He's trying to help Lorraine find some of her bags. Gilda comes in as a sort of Igor type carrying the bag. And we learn that this is the island of lost luggage. We then go to Bill and Jane playing a couple who are at the end of a party and they're ready to go to bed. But John Belushi plays a guest who is trying to stick around, wants to borrow a record. And he isn't getting the hint that it's time for him to go. And this one is called The Thing That Wouldn't Leave. Kudos to Jane and Lorraine in this whole segment. Their horror screams are awesome. Dan, in the third one, plays Vincent Price. Uh, and he's the star of Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Lorraine plays his uh, his assistant. We start as like we start with Vincent Price basically being in a lab, and then he goes over to a closet and and changes his uh, his jacket and his shoes just like Mr. Rogers does. All these are narrated by Tom Davis. Really liked these three. Uh, again, Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Rogers got a loud, audible laugh out of me, and I rewatched it a bunch of times. It was really funny to me how at one point I couldn't tell if Dan was doing a Vincent Price, a Fred Rogers, or a combination of both.
2: I wasn't too fan. I wasn't too big a fan of the Island of Lost Luggage. Uh, the thing that wouldn't leave—I think we've all experienced—that was really good. It just had the person just won't leave right so that was great and uh dr jekyll and mr rogers good concept i will say dan didn't do a particularly good vincent price or a good mr rogers but somehow it was a decent melding of both so the second two get thumbs up first one i could give or take I think my problem with these mostly stemmed from the
0: fact that they occurred during the monologue and the host isn't involved. Like this is supposed to be Christopher Lee's time to go out there and be funny and present himself and maybe have a few laughs. And you've got somebody of this stature of this standing and, you you know, you got him throwing the clips. And I wasn't cool with that. I thought Lost Luggage was indeed stupid. The second one was okay, And I liked the Jekyll and Rogers one, but uh, yeah, I really thought Dan was terrible, really terrible mm. Vincent price. And uh, yeah, I just wanted more Christopher Lee in this segment and not the cast fucking around. Great screams, though. You're right.
1: So uh, we go to the Chiron. We have a girl here passing for cute. We then go to speech therapy and Christopher Lee plays Dr. Henry Higgins. Dan plays his friend, Colonel Pickering. And this is a parody of Pygmalion slash My Fair. Well, it's definitely more of a, a parody of My Fair Lady. Gilda enters as Baba Wawa, who has come to Higgins for speech therapy. There is a fun little bit that runs throughout this where music will start as if the characters are about to start singing, but then the music stops and there's a brief sort of micro reaction. So Higgins agrees to teach Baba how to speak properly with uh, hard work, number of signed checks, and a bit of luck. They do the rain in Spain bit, but months pass and they're still working on it. Baba cannot get it. She is nowhere near where she should be vocally. We then go and see more time pass. When we come back, both Higgins and Pickering speak like Baba Wawa. First and foremost, what a swanky set. I, I watched some of season one the other day. And uh, production value has gone way up. That was really, really nice. i I don't like Baba Wawa as a character. I will say Gilda does it extremely well. She's quite flawless at her mistakes. Jane was in it briefly. She had a good couple seconds. Saw the ending coming a mile away, better than a lot of the other Baba Wawa stuff. But uh, again, I just if you can't get over the the main character of the of the bit or the the character that it, sort of swings on, um, you're not going to like the the sketch very much. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get fully invested in this because of the Baba Wawa character.
2: I'm not a big fan of Baba Wawa either, but I do think this is a decent use of the character. Also good way to get, you know, Christopher Lee, you know, stuffy upper crust British, you know, obviously very nice voice. Good way to tie those together. And like you said, it shows how, even if you don't like Baba Wawa, how good Gilda is at it, because, you know, Dan and Lee both had chances to do it, and they both kind of flubbed a little bit. I gotta say that the highlight for this was the very short Jane's Cockney accent was so over the top, I roared. It was so silly, so bad, that it was hilarious. Uh, overall, good sketch. I like the use of the as if they're gonna sing but didn't. I got, I found this got things off to a nice start as far as the sketches went. Nothing super memorable. But enjoyable.
0: Christopher Lee's gravitas is noticeable instantly. He really stands out in this regard. Uh, I also, Chili, loved Jane's voice. I made a note of it. The uh, the high over the top accent. But as soon as uh, Gilda comes out in that character, it's it's a uh, it's a no for me. I think her impression. St- dinks and this is just some stupid voice gag uh that they continue to try to get over uh i thought the musical cues were kind of fun and that in that they never happened and i really liked the line that that it was cold-blooded murder of the english tongue but the sketch was too long uh christopher lee and dan were in fine form as pickering and higgins they were uh eat frustrated and eager and uh lee doing the the barbara walters voice was cute for a second but certainly not worth having to sit through more of this shit uh and gilda's shitty barbara walters that i hate passionately
1: we now go to meatloaf our musical guest He was born in dallas in the early 70s began working in music and musical theater first big gig was the la production of hair certainly went on to form a very strong partnership with Jim Steinman. Meatloaf uh, was the understudy for John Belushi and National Lampoon's Lemmings, So these guys had crossed paths before. Meatloaf had uh, released the album, Bad of a Hell. Huge, huge success. Christopher Lee introduces Meatloaf. He says, I'd like you to Meatloaf. The crew apparently went nuts thinking he made a mistake. Meatloaf himself was not happy about it, but anyway, they corrected and Lee is uh, introduces him as Meatloaf. And he goes on to sing, all revved up with no place to go. I um, thought this was an excellent performance. I don't expect anything less from Meatloaf. I'm a big fan and uh, really enjoy his music and and love seeing him do stuff live.
2: I'll be honest with you. Part of what I like the most about doing the show with you guys is when it comes to the musical performances, I rarely know who they are, but I am very familiar with Meatloaf. So this didn't have that, I guess, surprise factor, even though more often than not, the surprise is not a pleasant one. This could be an ultimate compliment in a way, but at times I almost wondered if it was if the music was being piped in. I know he's known for, you know, being a phenomenal live performer, but it almost sounded too good for the type of song it was. But hey, that's why he's famous and that's why the album's a hit. And that's why people still talk about nineteen seventies Meatloaf performances, you know, fifty years later, so Overall, this is a nice change from some of the drudgery that we've had in the musical guests.
0: Let me start with the Christopher Lee part, because I thought that was hilarious. I'd like everybody to meet loaf. and uh, he, Christopher Lee was just perfect for that gag, uh, as per my notes. Now, meatloaf. My dad loves meatloaf. There is no two ways around it. Maybe it is a thing that... Uh, you're traditionally resistant to the music your parents enjoy as some sort of uh, sense of rebellion. I don't know. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I don't. I know I don't like meatloaf. So while I do welcome the change of pace from the acoustic white bread rock from the show, uh, I thought this was a dull performance. This is the worst song on the album. And I thought Meatloaf sounds terrible. His voice is fucking shot. He's he's missing notes. He's all over the place. And despite the fun choreography during the uh, guitar solo... I really thought this performance was atrocious.
2: I do think every time I see Meatloaf back in this time, I'm always shocked. Like, this fucking guy lasted another 40 plus years. You know, he made it long enough to be on The Apprentice,
0: right? Why why should I respect Meatloaf after this performance if I don't know Meatloaf? Uh, I see this guy out here and his voice is obviously shot. Maybe he's doing too many shows. I don't know. I'm, I'm not his fucking booker but uh i i know he does sound terrible and if i don't know him going into this i don't walk away as a fan all revved up and no place to go is not uh, a song for me Uh, and you know i know it's saturday night live i'm not gonna hear paradise by the dashboard light but i wanna it's funny
1: matt this brings up somebody asked me about this on twitter the other day it's like when the two of us disagree on something it's like I'm like, why don't you take Matt to task when you disagree or or why doesn't Matt take you to task? The reality is, is that I completely disagree with you and I've known you long enough to know that you're not going to change my mind and I'm not going to change your mind. So why why waste the bandwidth fighting? Right.
0: This, this is why we're friends.
1: I know. It's great. And then we just let the third chair sort of tell us who's right, I guess. <laughs> my mind can
2: easily be swayed either way.
1: It's... Yeah, yeah. Let's go to weekend update. So we still have Dan and Jane at the desk. This one is brought to you by Aqua Velveeta, a man's after cheese lotion. Stupid as hell. I loved it. They weren't going for the sort of the pussy whip Hershey Highway jokes they have. And I kind of appreciated this one. Just a couple of bits from this one. uh, Pay toilets have been overturned in Florida, but uh, they might be doing pay zippers on your pants. There's a Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young pun that was quite funny. They talk about Beatlemania Mania, a tribute to the Beatles, tribute Beatlemania playing on Broadway. John Belushi comes in as uh, Kevin Scott, and he's coming in to talk about a French oil tanker that broke up over the ocean. He does a thing with a toy boat that's filled with oil, and he keeps spilling it all over the place, and he accidentally hits Dan with it. And uh, then he starts just screwing around with Dan trying to get oil on him um it's very odd dan breaks a few times and and i don't think we see that very often if if at all uh leon spinks was arrested for several infractions but he says at least he has he still has his good looks another another joke about leon spinks not being a very attractive man and jane and dan do a bit uh where the wga is striking against sesame street they do like Then we get a new movie review from Bill Murray, but this is actually his Oscar picks, and this goes on to be a big thing. Um, He goes on to pick Diane Keaton and Richard Burton and The Goodbye Girl to win the Oscars that year, and that uh, the reason Bill picked The Goodbye Girl to win is that it's the only one he saw. Incidentally, he'll be right about Diane Keaton, but not about the rest of them. We then go to point counterpoint and this is the first of what will become a recurring gag where dan and jane are going to argue about the success or the efficiency of having point counterpoint segments on news shows um and this very quickly turns into a personal thing and we get our famous jane you ignorant slut the funny thing about the point counterpoint is this is so close to what these things have become in actual news now that it's it's almost not funny um (laughs) Certainly, like, Facebook arguments and stuff are this now. So uh, I really enjoyed seeing our first c- point counterpoint. I do believe it will go on to become a bit tedious over time. All, all, all things considered about this weekend update, I really enjoyed seeing Dan cracking, uh, Belushi coming out as Kevin Scott with the oil tanker fucking around with Dan was funny. I thought Bill's movie review or Bill's shtick that he's doing on Weekend Update has gotten even better And yeah, point counterpoint, a lot of fun. So uh, this was actually one of the better
2: weekend updates for me. Don't think I can disagree with you more. I found this to be probably the worst weekend update I can recall. The energy wasn't great. The Belushi thing, aside from like him messing with Dan and Dan cracking a bit, wasn't a fan. Uh, Jane did her best, but I just found the jokes weren't there. And maybe they were a bit more, some of them were maybe a bit more topical That not being around back then. I just don't get the joke of it. And Bill Murray's thing, like, I like Bill Murray. I like when he gets the chance to do this type of stuff. But this one went on forever and it didn't seem rehearsed. Big thumbs down for me.
0: I think Dan is as terrible as ever, and the jokes are mostly flat. They kept up the Kevin Scott bit, which I enjoyed, and I really liked the Sesame Street part with Dan and Jane combining the words. I thought that was clever and fun. I was excited for Bill's desk bit and uh, disappointed that I was rambling and went on too long, but I definitely see the potential there and uh, do hope that they fine-tune it because Bill's great in this uh kind of correspondence slash weekend update character position i really like it and point counterpoint i was uh, waiting for it it's one of those classic sketches that i was like when does it come along when does it come along and it did and i popped for it and it was the first sign of life from dan Aykroyd and we his weekend update history and thank god for that i really enjoyed that part so yeah middle thumb for me
1: a middle thumb from you from Weekend Update this season is like... Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> so uh, we now go to Mr. Death. And this was written by Alan Zweibel, Herb Sargent, and Gilda Radner. And Sargent was usually just over on the Weekend Update. So we don't see too, too many sketches that he he was involved in. There's a big backstory on this one. So Lorraine Newman, huge horror fan, as we say pretty much every episode, she wanted to do a scene with Christopher Lee and had been lobbying for Lee to host for some time. Gilda got assigned the role of the little girl in this sketch, and Lorraine was really hurt by that. So she went to talk to Lauren about it, and she basically said, Gilda gets a lot. I want to do something with Christopher Lee. I can play a little girl just as well as she can. Lorraine didn't, and, and this is something she said herself, she didn't advocate for herself enough when it came to getting roles. So this was one where she decided to really swing for the fences. The issue that sort of comes into play is that she didn't know that Gilda had written this, and the sort of rule was, and still is, if you write it, it's it's yours. You know, you decide, are you doing it or is somebody else? Now, in one of the books, uh, in the Hill and Weingard book, they say she threatened to quit the show, and Lauren went around and told people that she was quitting if she didn't get the role. In the Live from New York book and other interviews, Lorraine says Lauren told her, if it bothers you so much, why don't you quit? Either way, it got all around that uh, Lorraine was going to quit um, unless she got the role. I feel real bad for Lorraine in this build-up, just knowing what I know about the the backstage scene. Like, What's your thoughts on, on, on that bit of ska without really thinking of the sketch?
2: Uh, I don't blame Lorraine for pushing for herself. I would say of the three women on the show, she is the one that seems like she is featured the least. So I don't blame Lorraine for pushing to get it. Uh, I do totally understand, though, that if Gilda wrote it, that is the policy. Like, But that being said, it sounds like Lorraine was the one who was pushing to have Christopher Lee on in the first place. It sounds like miscommunication there. I'm sure it's not Lorraine or Gilda's fault with how this worked out. Probably something with the management could have handled it better.
0: I agree completely, Chili. It doesn't sound like Gilda or Lorraine's fault. Lorraine is a hundred percent in the right for pushing for herself to be in sketches, and it's totally fair that if Gilda helped write the sketch that it should be her quote unquote dibs. Uh, it sounds like Lauren Michaels was really being just a piece of shit in this situation. Yeah, what a what a fucking asshole to tell Lorraine either just quit or to spread a rumor that she was threatening to quit yeah and and we don't know
1: his side of that rebuttal either so yeah we don't know how that worked out but i felt i felt bad learning about this because lorraine didn't advocate for herself and you know the one one time that she really does kind of might not have been the fight to have let's look at the final product here so lorraine plays a little girl named penny and her dog tippy has recently died and she's really sad she misses tippy Jane plays her mother and says they'll get a new dog, and uh, Lorraine says she'd, she'd like to also name him Tippy. Lorraine gets down on her knees to say her prayers, and Christopher Lee, dressed as Death, enters the room and apologizes about Tippy. He explains to her that Tippy was just on the list, and he tries to explain his role and that things have to die, and it's his job to make sure it happens when it's supposed to happen. Lorraine suggests a kid that she hates at school that should be on his list but is not. And she talks about all the different small animals that she had that died. And, and Death just says, uh, you know, I hate small animals. Death says he wanted to be Mother Nature, but it didn't work out. She eventually forgives him and uh, and says she'll see him. She wonders if she'll see him again. And he says he'll be back on her 15th birthday and that he'll take her to see Tippy. This was really, really good. There were some dated references in there, but overall, this thing was a really sweet piece showing death and uh, you know that's his lot in life really and then he, he does have a soul and feelings This is one of them ones, it it could have been a Miller piece in a way um, because it wasn't overly laugh riot hilarious, but there were enough laughs in there that it was certainly fit on the show. I thought it was a perfect role for Christopher Lee and this might be a hot take and we'll certainly never be able to prove it. But I think Lorraine was the better choice than Gilda in this one because I think Lorraine had a better chance at really nailing the the heart of this character. Um, Totally see why she lobbied for this. It's really too bad about the drama that took place behind the scenes. But as far as what we get to see on the screen, I thought this was a really, really good sketch.
2: Yes, yes, and yes. I enjoyed this a lot. Like you said, there's no way to prove it, but Lorraine's little kid voice is fantastic. I mean, it's over the top, but it is still SNL. Like, we're not doing Shakespeare in the Park here. It's very funny voice. Like you said, she did very sweetly. Like, Gilda's... Kid voice is normally more over-the-top goofy. Good casting for Christopher Lee. It put him in, like, the horror aspect of he's playing death, but he wasn't playing death in a typical menacing way. And it really kind of made me think, I would have liked to see Christopher Lee get to play more like grandfathers and stuff. Like, it's almost too bad his second wind, his resurgence, I guess, came when he was basically already in his 80s doing The Lord of the Rings and The Star Wars thou shalt not witness falls bears was <laughs> just a little kid misunderstanding it i like this a lot
0: agreed great sketch i loved it lorraine is fucking awesome i would not want anybody else in this sketch when christopher lee came out as death he was horrifying you know half his face concealed by that black robe and the shadows and the scythe uh line of the sketch for me is when he said it's a living that's some clever shit right there. <laughs> uh, and again, cover up thy neighbor's wife. Great stuff uh, from Lorraine. Uh, I, I, I noted again that Christopher just looks so menacing. But it is sweet. It has some heart. And Lorraine's going to die when she's 15. I do find the sketches pretty long tonight, but this was one that deserved it and needed it. And I'm fucking loved it i thought it was terrific we now go to suggestions for sadat
1: and uh, garrett morris plays anwar sadat the president of egypt he's really struggling to create peace in the middle east everything he's been trying has been failing miserably and he doesn't know what to do so he's asking people to send in suggestions for what to do i really like this uh, this was the perfect silly to compliment the last
0: sketch i'll go ahead it didn't it didn't work for me so much this sketch keith i thought it was too fast maybe it was too fast paced for me i i'd give it a rewatch this is like the first time in three seasons 15 episodes 3.15 i think we are uh but yeah this is the first one I'm, where i'm like wow it was so fast maybe i didn't get it because uh i i thought it was too I, it struck me as too topical and it all just kind of flew over my head really fast
2: same here it I didn't get what it was referencing, um, so I couldn't tell you if it was a good impression, bad impression, funny jokes, not funny jokes. It was just very much of the time, and I'm not of that time, so I have no opinion of the sketch one way or the other.
1: Oh, it's it's not a good impression. Um, I just like the no, the notion of a a world leader. I wonder how close we are to that with the Twitterverse. You know, a world leader appealing to the masses for what the hell's he gonna do to create peace in the Middle East? You know. <laughs> We now have a Chiron. This this person won't seize the moment. We now go to a Gary Weiss film. We now get Foreigner's Cold as Ice song with uh, intercut shots of a woman killing Stacy Keach in a variety of different ways, like with a knife, scissors, and a handgun. I didn't really like this one. This brought me back to some of his more music-y video ones that I, I don't particularly enjoy. So pass for me on this Cold as Ice song.
2: What is, like, what was this like who's it for it wasn't funny it wasn't like it wasn't pretty it wasn't like it, it was as <laughs> flat as a plate of piss it was terrible <laughs> do they not screen these before they show them or is that part of the whole live thing like hey get, you know he's gonna send us something we'll put it on the air and then we'll all get a chuckle out of whatever he has on there like what's this doing on Saturday Night Live? It's not funny. Not good looking. Just it's just pure garbage. This sucked.
0: <laughs> Jelly, I've been looking forward to you shitting on this all day. I, Thank you.
2: I don't. I honestly don't understand. I thought that he was done. Like, it's been so long. I've seen one of these. And then it's like, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Weiss is like, no, there must be another guy named Gary Weiss doing these things. Is there? And then it was a music video. It wasn't funny. Uh,
0: hey i'm with you it was a bad music video i didn't know who it was i thought it was fidel castro and i wasn't getting the joke and then i also just wrote in my notes hey foreigner it, it would have been a cool musical guest <laughs> the, the whole thing is yeah it's a complete miss for me what a waste of time
2: the very first one i saw was the one where a guy basically made out with a dog and that was so far still probably the best gary weiss thing i've seen
1: I think you enjoyed when Garrett was working on the night moves with that woman.
2: Maybe, but
1: <laughs> Actually, she I she have done so that. begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chili, you'll, you'll be delighted to know Gary Weiss's time is coming to an end. And between season three and four, we're going to have a special episode with some of our third chairs going through all of Gary Weiss's movies and picking <laughs> one. That, you fucking dare. We, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> we need you for that one, Chili. <laughs> I am unplugging my internet <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
1: chili's going off the grid because of gary weiss <laughs> like there are some brilliant gary weiss films but you have not seen them
0: yeah the the toilet seat one with buck henry remains my favorite gary weiss film it was just so fucking stupid and ridiculous and buck henry took it so seriously and it was just so shot like like it was a serious piece for news media and i just thought it was brilliant
1: yeah chili you got to see the good ones they're out there
2: yeah, you and know i give so many chances you know? <laughs> like, i've been it's like an abusive relationship it's like i keep being told like oh don't worry he'll, he'll change it'll change and i keep coming back <laughs>
0: you don't have to listen to us
1: let's go to Dell stater's rabbit Hot. this is a throwback to season one actually we see uh Dan as Del Stater at the uh, Rabbit Rotisserie Joint. It's a place where you can get freshly cooked or freshly rotisseried rabbit. Jane and Bill come in with a kid and they sit down and eat. You just see this little, you know, rabbit corpse on the uh, on the spit. Yeah, Gilda and Lorraine play uh, some singers. They do a little jingle. We've heard the name uh, Del Stater before because he, he owned a, a Toad restaurant in a Buck Henry episode quite a ways back. This was quick, standard bit. I love how Dan looked here. He had a big fake mustache on. And uh, I really love the jingle. I thought Lorraine and Gilda were hilarious.
2: It was a nice quick bit. I mean, pretty unoffensive. The big takeaway I got from this is I feel like Dan probably, I felt like he probably grabbed that mustache and was like, oh, this is a wicked comedy mustache and then Christopher Lee walked in with an even better bigger comedy Yosemite Sam mustache and Dan was probably like, "Oh fuck, this mustache isn't as funny anymore." <laughs> Cuz like he had the exact same mustache as Christopher Lee did for the sketch. It was nice. It was a fine little commercial. Not too bad.
0: What this commercial was missing was Dan's real mustache. The fact that they have an Easter special is hilarious. (laughs) I I really like, you know, you come in and you pick your rabbit and the rabbits are all rotating on the broiler. And the kid's like, great rabbit, better than chicken. Uh, They're they're really selling it, which I uh, appreciate. We got plenty of them. Uh, the only thing and listen if i keith if i may break a rule i know we don't they should have done this they could have done that with the sketches but i really think there was an opportunity for everybody to be totally cool and chipper and upbeat in in the commercial but like have dan say like maybe a couple of more cruel things about how they process the rabbits i think there was an opportunity for funny rabbit cruelty uh, they went pretty dark
1: there at one point. You remember the clock and chicken? I think it was a robot. Yeah. yeah it didn't go there. <laughs> they chopped my head off. <laughs> we now go to Vampire Nixon. Lee plays a version of Van Helsing, and he's accompanied by Jane, who's playing Maureen Dean, and John as uh, Carl. They are going to a place. They don't reveal what it is. They're trying to break in and end something. And it turns out to be Richard Nixon's house. Dan plays Nixon, who is looking over his memoirs before he sends them off to a publisher. Maureen buzzes, and Nixon uh, asks if she's alone. She says she is, and he tells her to come in. He puts on Misty by Johnny Mathis. He's then shocked to see that uh, Lee as Van Helsing and Belushi as Carl are there. So what they're there to do is to uh, destroy the soul of Watergate, because it has been haunting them for long enough. Nixon sees his memoirs as his way back to the presidency, but Lee is fighting him off because he wants to drive a stake through the memoirs. Belushi comes in with a photo that I can't make out who it was. It it, it might have at first I thought it was Eisenhower, um, but then I, it might be uh, uh, the the old Attorney General Richard Kleindist. But it's it's hard to tell who it is because there's a glare on it. Lee says that uh, the book has to be destroyed before it makes its way into. Bookstores and libraries and just spreads around. He drives a stake in the book, and Nixon dies slowly. The book is taken away to be burned. Um, Nixon wakes up, starts his memoirs all over again. There's a couple jokes in there about $19.95. It was a big deal as the book was uh, being sold for that, which was seen as an exorbitantly high number so this is lee playing van helsing he won't do dracula but he'll do the Ops. i i thought he was great i thought thought jane and john were fine in this but the sketch was way too long it didn't have nearly as many laughs as it could i was really annoyed that i couldn't see that photo very well i don't know if it was the old attorney general or the uh whatever another great elaborate set though really this this kind of goes to a point matt's had like Watergate is still hanging on over everybody's head, and it it stays there for a long time after Nixon was gone. The, the story about killing off Watergate on a show that continues to exploit Watergate's bit of unintentional irony there. Funny, it's like in your face you don't realize that you're part of the problem here, SNL.
2: I like the premise, the whole Nixon-Watergate stuff. It doesn't go over as well right now. Like it is kind of funny to think of a time and like, oh this, this Richard Nixon lied about a few things. He was the worst president. It's kind of hard to look back on that type of thing and be like, oh, yeah, I guess you know at least he had the decency to you know resign and not disappear into the ether. But Dan's spooky Nixon movements were really funny. Everyone acted the part well. I just find it wasn't a very funny sketch. So this is very much a thumbs in the middle for me. I guess it was nice to see Christopher Lee in the, I guess we'll say, Van Helsing role. He put on an accent that no one else bothered to do, which was kind of an interesting choice. There wasn't too, too much to this sketch. It felt like definitely one of the last sketches of the evening.
0: Jane and Christopher, I uh, thought were good in their positions. And I thought Dan's death throws were pretty funny. But holy shit. There have been, they're on their second president since Nixon. I understand Watergate was a huge scandal. Nobody died. The country wasn't in jeopardy. You know, this is not a national security issue. The, the, The world is not crumbling. Like, betrays, in my opinion, the innocence of the time. Like, now, if Watergate fucking happened today, it would be page two news compared to what's going on. Aside from the fact that that's a little hard to digest, who on the staff is obsessed with writing this shit They've got a thing for it, and it's got to be someone. Somebody's pushing this, like, this is funny. We should talk about this. It's maybe Alpine. it's Alf. It's, it's Alpine. Alpine. I was
1: going to say, maybe it's <laughs> Al. I mean, they all do, but he's the he's the big voice.
0: It's just so tired. There's no place for it because hot political humor – as the show will learn, should be early in the show. This So this is not hot political humor. So you stuff it to later in the show when it's just some boring ass, like, this was really boring. If you're watching this as it occurs, this is where you start to nod off. Like, you know, you've had that joint. You're wondering if meatloaf's coming back. But, you, you know, you just can't make it because they're fucking making Nixon jokes on TV. What a turnoff.
1: I think this would have been an excellent three-minute sketch, but it didn't, what did it go, eight, something like that?
0: It felt but like 20.
1: We now go to Richard Belzer. He had worked with a lot of the cast before and stuff like Channel One and National Lampoon. He was the warm-up comic for the show at the for, for the first few years, and uh, he had made some appearances. Like, he was back in the first episode in, in The Jury and later played a fake Chevy Chase at the update desk. So he does a bit about wedding singers, he does a Stones medley, um, an impression of Mick Jagger as a rooster on acid. He does an impression of an 86-year-old Bob Dylan, which is basically an old Yiddish man complaining during uh, How Does It Feel? Uh, I like Richard Belzer. I, I loved him as John Munch, um, but this, this stand-up is not even Richard Belzer stand-up. This is the two o'clock in the afternoon you're going to the old age home. Here's some material for them. The audience seemed to love it, though. I'll, I'll give them that.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much of this was old hat at the time, but I mean, he basically just did a postmodern jukebox version of Rolling Stones songs. And then to go directly into another Rolling Stones impression, like it seemed kind of like one trick pony. I didn't really get the 86-year-old Bob Dylan. It didn't really sound like Bob Dylan. It doesn't sound like Bob Dylan now, who's 82. The Richard Belzer stuff I've seen of his stand-up. Also, I was a huge fan of him on Homicide and getting choked out by Hulk Hogan and all that. But I always thought of him as being a smarter comedian. And this was certainly not smart comedy. So the audience liked it. Can't complain too much.
0: I'm okay with the idea of stand-up spots during the show like just as a thing i think it gives it more of a variety show feel which i think that's what they're going for yeah somebody wants to come out and do a few minutes i mean andy Kaufman comes out and does his bastardized version of stand-up it's fine and i really got a laugh when he sang ceilings but uh after that uh rather short moment the mashup didn't do anything for me i thought his mick jagger was okay as chili said his bob dylan was weirdly horrible just beyond what uh, didn't sound like him then now ever forever the bob dylan was i mean
1: bob dylan is jewish and it was he was doing just an old yiddish man sc- yelling like it's just like here's what old jewish men sound like bob dylan is a Jewish man, ergo, this is what he's going to sound like when he's 86. That's the joke there.
2: I almost wondered if a sketch got cut like last, last minute. The last sketch we just saw where they were killing Nixon was the last real sketch of the night. I almost felt like for how slapdash and not great this stand-up was, and the fact that they do know Richard, it almost felt like we need something to fill this spot. We had to cut something, see if Belzer can come in and give us six minutes. I would almost guarantee that's what happened. That's what I thought right from the beginning that
1: something got cut. They had a chunk to fill. They already used their Gary Weiss for the night. So uh, yeah, let's, <laughs> Richard's here already. You know, I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's what happened. We now go back to Meatloaf. This time, Christopher Lee doesn't get to announce him. It's done by Don Pardo. Um, and it's Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, also from Bad of a Hell. This one was released earlier that month. It peaked at number one. In a lot of ways, this was the biggest hit from the album because it was the most radio-friendly. However, I think Paradise by the Dashboard Lights and even the title track itself have eclipsed it. This is to me, excellent song performed excellently, excellently, not just meatloaf, but that whole band. I mean, these are m- musicians that are, are, are wisely picked. I will say in both performances, I was a little disappointed not to see old Max Weinberg at the drum kit.
2: I've always liked the song. I think it's a a great song. It's a very beautiful song. But at the same time, it's also very cruel, which is sort of what works for it. He sang it very well. I preferred it more than the first song. It sounded great. Beautiful song. Well performed. Thumbs up. I'm
0: pretty shook that you guys think this was well performed. I really thought he sounded terrible. He drifts off key. Like he he fucks up notes. Like his, his vocal performance tonight is in the toilet. I knew we were going to get two out of three ain't bad this late in the show. You know, say what you will about Meatloaf. He is inconsistent. I hate this. It's, (laughs) you know, it it is. It's a nice breath of fresh air. I'm not going to lie. I was excited for Meatloaf. I thought, yeah, this is going to be a nice breath of fresh air from the acoustic guitar, piano man, fucking balladeers that have been coming across the stage. And, you know, I complain about the booking every time. So as much as I was excited, I was also let down. That's all I got.
1: Like for me with, with Meatloaf. the 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 showmanship and the emotion almost over well overcompensates for the lack in technical ability
2: i am so sick and tired of seeing lip-syncing and like people putting more effort into how they look on stage versus you know they just record the track already so Mm -hmm. i actually kind of like when somebody doesn't sound perfect doing it just because of the last several years, all I see now is, you know, these pop stars and all that who are more interested in getting their dance moves right than actually singing live. So, yeah, maybe I I prefer nowadays when something kind of sounds a little shitty. At least it's like, OK, well, it's clearly done live. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's a bit of a sliding scale.
1: So Chili likes it. I like it. Matt doesn't. And uh, two out of three ain't bad, I guess.
2: Fuck. I to oh, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you.
1: <laughs> I'd be Chili to the <laughs> we now go to mr bill mr bill is uh he's going to the circus mr hands comes in and makes spot the dog um he's unfortunately out of dog food though so mr sluggo comes in with some special dog food which is poisonous spot eats it and dies uh sluggo then ties mr bill's arms to uh helium balloons and the pull the arms get pulled off sluggo is the ringmaster at the circus and he uh he does a he puts uh, Mr. Bill on a high-wiring act, and then Bill gets shot out of the cannon. The first thing I wondered is I, I've watched ahead a bit, so I don't know, but it felt like the voices were different in this one. Regardless, I mean I'm not a big fan of Mr. Bill. I know people like it, so I'm glad it's it's there for them folks. But Mr. Bill's
2: not my thing. Were the Muppets unavailable for tonight? They had Mr. Bill. They had another Gary Weiss thing, and like I prefer Mr. I'll watch Mr. Bill a three-and-a-half-hour-long director's cut movie of Mr. Bill before Gary Weiss, but I would be very happy to never see Mr. Bill again. I was shocked they were still doing them. I like Mr. Bill. I out. know you do. It's weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it reminded me of that joke when Milhouse crawls out of that horrible mattress. <laughs> <blipress>. <laughs> and he's like, it smells funny in there. I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> the same style of humor and I don't know yeah Mr. Bill there's nothing to it but the claymation and the voices and it makes me laugh every time hashtag them folks we love it
1: well, apparently walter williams the creator is one of the nicest people anyone will ever meet i've heard which makes me feel bad you know i just i, I i'm not into it i don't know why we now have a chiron, and this person is mentally overdressing their date and that person is uh, a care a person named cheetah chrome who's the guitarist of the punk band the dead boys
2: i've heard of the dead boys but i thought it was yanosh from ghostbusters 2 <laughs> peter mcnichol Peter McNichol. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we now go to the good night. Christopher Lee said he had an excellent night, and all he can say is thank you. Gilda and Lorraine run out and give him flowers. Now the whole crew comes out, really excited, tons of energy. Lorraine is definitely fangirling. I couldn't help but notice that Don Novello is standing very creepily in the back, halfway
2: down the steps. Even the way he said his final good nights, it seemed like he did, you know, enjoy doing something that's not in his usual wheelhouse.
1: And, you know, we talk about that like, okay he's not doing horror, but that's not really what we're talking about. And what they're talking about when they say Wheelhouse, it's like it's live TV instead of a a film set. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's a huge jump. The host rating the host. Christopher Lee, I thought it was excellent. Wasn't a laugh riot. He was all in for someone who you'd think might not be uh, all in with the Dracula caveat, of course. You know, like I said, you don't think of a happy smiling Christopher Lee, but we did get that. But we also got his his usual British reservedness. He uh he pleased and impressed me. I'm sad we don't get Christopher Lee again. I was really sad. We also never get Peter Cushing or Vincent Price. Uh, either of the two would have been great to see. You know, there were limitations. They didn't use Lee a lot. Maybe they didn't get him to mess with his range a lot. But what we got from him was was pretty
2: darn good. 1st I'll off-premise, if you like, one Vincent Price, he did host The Muppets and was a lot of fun on that. I fully understand that I'm biased in saying this because anyone listening to this can tell I'm a pretty big Christopher Lee fan. I thought he did excellent. We saw far too little of him. I don't know how much of that was his decision where this isn't something he does all the time. If maybe he said, can I just focus on a few things so I can nail them perfectly? Uh, he was fairly stiff, but that's what you expect. Knowing he improvised one of my favorite parts of the show, which is introducing you know, letting us meet Loaf. The performance in the death sketch was, I really wish we got to see more Christopher Lee in better roles when he was in his 60s and 70s and not having to wait until he was in his 80s. He is probably one of the worst cases of typecasting maybe ever in movie history, in my opinion. He could have done so much more if people just saw past the fact that he was Dracula. And, you know, for better or worse, that did happen. He just had to be, you know, an octogenarian before it did.
0: Uh, I guess I would say in response to that, like the dude kept taking the bag and you're going to keep taking the bag. You're going to keep taking these, make, taking the money, making these movies. That's that's on you, Christopher Lee. And my favorite Christopher Lee movie, just uh, to get it out there because we're almost done and I don't think he ever comes back, is The Wicker Man. I think The Wicker Man is one of just a fucking genius movie. And he's so good and menacing in it with a smile on his face the whole
2: time. I believe that was his favorite movie too, or certainly (laughs) he was fantastic in it.
0: Yeah, so tremendous. But yeah, not used really enough in this episode, but uh, good where he was for the most part. And uh, yeah, I thought he was brilliant as Death. Uh, What a great role for him. I I was into that. And I was mostly into him when he was around, which wasn't enough.
1: Yeah, and just a little note on this one. Steven Spielberg was in the audience that night and uh, cast Lee in uh, 1941 along with Belushi and Aykroyd let's rate the music I I mean I I know where we're going to land on this I thought this was excellent and I'm just going to leave it there Meatloaf did very very well
2: it it is funny watching Meatloaf and I always think Meatloaf is doing his impression of Chris Farley doing an impression of Meatloaf the stuff on stage it's (laughs) so over the top it's something to see whether you like it or not it's not ordinary I enjoyed both songs I enjoyed the second one better It was familiar. I've seen Meatloaf before, but I preferred this over some lame guy in a floral shirt playing the keyboards.
0: I mean, I must disagree with Chili, where he says, you know, well, you know, because it's live, it's a little more flawed. It can can sound a little better. I don't don't like lip syncing either. That's not fun and that's not good. But, you know, there's a line and he's over that line for flawed live performance.
1: And uh, Meatloaf and Christopher Lee, incidentally, there was a period in the 2000s where one of them was a sought after character actor in hollywood and the other one had released a critically acclaimed metal album but it's not the <laughs> <laughs> it's not the way
2: you think so gentlemen what was the worst sketch of the night i don't think i'm gonna do any surprises here gary weiss just guess like i never want to see another one of these things again it made no sense wasn't funny it was just awful can't can't say enough bad things about it so i'll just stop there Very good. My my worst
0: sketch of the night was that Nixon sketch. I really thought it was hacky and hokey and dated and bereft of creativity. And it's just full of like left wing political agenda bullshit. Like let's keep shitting on Nixon. Let's keep shitting on Nixon. We get it Al. You're a Democrat.
1: Uh, I'm with you, Matt. Uh, Cold as ice. The the Gary Weiss thing was was dreadful, but it was short. Uh, Disappointed with the vampire Nixon mainly because uh it was way too long it could have been a nice short concise sketch um and uh and, and just the kind of the irony of or the hypocrisy i guess with the sketch as well um some good performances in there but uh it didn't have to feel like it was a half hour long um what was the best of the night guys
2: i don't think uh this is any mystery we could probably say it on the count of three but i'll just start the death sketch it's one of my favorite sketches i've watched uh doing the show it was funny it had a bit of heart. i actually it's one of the few sketches i went back and re-watched without having to
0: death sketch of course it's the death sketch great performances great sketch got some heart everything chili just said amazing performances so glad lorraine was in it
1: yeah another sweep guys i think this was a this was a one sketch night as far as you know the the greatness of it all um yeah brilliant brilliant piece really liked it
2: so who was your star of the night, fellas? For me, this is a Runaway, but I will give a special shout out to Jane. She didn't have tons to do as far as comedy. And to be honest with you, I, did, I do find this is maybe the worst update I've ever seen. And she is part of that, so that brings it down some. But her Cockney accent, her horror screams, you know, she delivered a lot of what was asked of her. But for me, this is, I, I could be wrong. I think this is the first time I am giving Star of the Night to the to the host. Um, could be biased but i think that if you look at for as little as he was given to do christopher lee did everything that was asked he did it well he had a like i said a gravitas to him that you do not expect to see in this format and he's also benefited by the fact that the writing was not there was like you said there was some good concepts but the writing was not good on this show and a lot of the regulars belushi did nothing Ackroid seemed off. Hardly saw Bill Murray and what he was in was for the most part that awful overly long weekend update. So yeah, this was a pretty easy one for me to hand it to Christopher Lee, and I don't feel like there's any type of favoritism or prejudice there.
1: Incidentally, uh let the record show you also picked the host um one other time and it was for
2: OJ Simpson. <laughs> So one person who was pretending to be scary and the other person who was legitimately scary.
1: Or just two people who most likely killed people in their lives. <laughs> <laughs>
2: stars Lorraine of
0: course I picked Lorraine I thought uh, her performance in the death sketch was memorable and it's uh, you know it's one of the performances that I'm going to take away from this whole podcast and one of the things I'm going to remember most about this season certainly but I mean as Chili said what a shout out to Jane Uh, I almost gave it to her just based on her uh, over the top Cockney accent alone
1: I also went with Lorraine this was the closest I've come to giving it to the host in a very long time but I did go with lorraine because of the strength of the mr death sketch and like you said matt the screams and uh i you know i really like the little jingle at the uh, at the rabbit hut too which uh was her and gilda so overall folks this one uh wow so nothing really st- stood out for me on this episode other than the death sketch lee being uh, an obscure but great host and and meatloaf uh, which i thought was great update for me was better The sketches were a wide range. Vampire Nixon and speech therapy felt really, really long. Other than Mr. Death, the best stuff to watch was the shorter bits, um, like Mel's Rabbit Hut or The Coming Attractions or Suggestions for Sadat, which I really did enjoy. I don't like the notion that a sketch ever has to be a certain length. If it's entertaining and funny, a sketch can be three hours long. If it sucks, five seconds is too much. Um, so I sort of split the difference with this one, and I went with a 6 out of 10.
2: The term guest host really kind of struck me here. You know, you're bringing in Christopher Lee, you're bringing in Meatloaf. Like, these people are supposed to be SNL's guests. Give them no writing to work with. Aside from one sketch, I felt like the uh, the repertory characters, the not yet ready for primetime players, none of them really delivered and a lot of them weren't given a chance to deliver either. Uh, Lorraine was great in the death sketch. Jane had some moments. But otherwise, like, didn't seem like he gave a fuck the whole episode. It was an off night for Dan. Bill was hardly around. Having Christopher on and the work he did, it's definitely counteracted by a very weak cold open, maybe my least favorite update, a disappointing Belzer, uh, another Mr. Bill, and a... Uh, gary fucking weiss like come on i wanted to like this more for the parts that i enjoyed but i can't give this any more than a five out of ten based on the last few episodes i've done with you guys like it's time to clean house with the writers because the writing has been a Is often let down the performers
0: tough episode uh i think if i see this late at night i'm falling asleep to it this is the kind of episode that you fall asleep to but it's the kind of episode that you enjoy falling asleep to that makes many sense and i know it does to the right people if you know you know the uh meatloaf i wasn't into weekend update was okay i I, the point counterpoint really landed with me in a big way made the sketch feel better than usual they really underutilized the host good when he was there don't like that he didn't want to do dracula i'm sorry I'm, I'm just, it just just annoys me richard belzer terrible yeah it was so middle of the road but really carried by that one sketch like you said keith it's a one sketch show in this situation so i'm gonna split this yes, 5.5 So with my six, Chili's five, Matt's 5.5, we wind up with a
1: 5.5, significantly lower than the Internet Movie Database that gives it a 7.8. The IMDb ranked this one as the second best episode of season three and the 58th best of all episodes to date. Outrageous. Outrageous. This is so far one of our lowest rated for this season. I wonder how
2: much of that is just... You know, because Christopher Lee started to have, like, a comeback and, like, Meatloaf, mm-hmm. you know, despite not having any hit, was still a public figure up until his death. I wonder how much that's just, like, people wanting to give it higher votes rather than someone like, say, like, a Jill Clayburgh, who, no disrespect to her, but nobody really knows of in the last 30 years, right?
1: Yeah. If I had graded this without seeing it, it would have been a lot higher. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so chili this is it for you for season three unless the schedule changes
2: thank you yeah no problem at all It's, it's always fun it's always a blast um i think you know despite maybe what some of the scores are I do find the episodes I've done, I've enjoyed the last several more than the first few. And maybe, I'm not sure if my scores reflect that, but that could just be the changing time and getting used to it. always love doing the show. Happy to jump in anytime you need me, especially with these, you know, one-off, one-of-a-kind guests. I would have been, like I said, would have been disappointed if I didn't get to do this episode, even though parts of it really let me down. We're going to have a couple of year-end
1: things uh, this time around. We're going to get some of the third chairs caught up on season one. And uh we really want to have you here for our uh, our Gary Weiss goodbye episode. Absolutely. Awesome, thank you. So Matt, do you know who's up next week? Host is Michael Palin from oh, right. Python and uh Eugene Record. I don't I don't know who that is. This is this performance that this gentleman gives, because I've watched ahead, is the polar opposite to what Meatloaf was tonight. I'm in. Matt and I will be back in about a week with the Michael Palin-Eugene Record episode. But until then, we'll be witnessing false bears here in SN Hell.